Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast. I have a special treat today. It's one that I've been looking forward to for a while and I hope will be a more regular occurrence. Um, I'm bringing back the original stats guy for Arsenal, or at least the the stats guy that inspired me to start using a lot of stats looking at Arsenal. You'll know him from his excellent, excellent website, 7amkickoff.com. Tim, welcome. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's good to be back. How are you? I, I'm doing good, right? I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, although there is a, a hurricane coming for the West Coast because everything is absolutely normal and nothing is wrong with our world, right? Yeah, you got the hurricane there, and um, apparently we've got forest fires in uh, up north of us. So you got a hurricane from the south and uh, fires and to the north. Yeah. To- yes. Uh, yeah, it's, I, was, I was looking at the, the forecast, and I might have you know a couple inches of rain come in my way. I'm in I'm in northern Nevada, so it's not going to be as bad as like what comes to like the Southern California deserts or the uh, Arizona deserts, where they might get like a year's worth of rain in like a day and a half. Right, it's going to be um, absolutely just crazy. I was reading though too, like that as it like dissipates, it like it might hit that like jet stream and make the fires like even worse up there. So it's like, all right, we're just going to have all sorts of just wonderful, wonderful weather events that you know no, nobody could have ever foreseen any of these things happening, right? <laughs> well, I, all I can say is I'm glad that I didn't read that because that would have made me really sadder. Upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sadder. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Thanks for telling me. Uh, I'll look you're, you're welcome, right? I'm, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm always the guy that you know brings happiness and joy into the world, right? That's what our podcasts are, are well known for. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. But, yeah, but I, not usually. Yeah. Not usually, like in just a, a an existential dread. More, it's more like we usually bring the the gloom to the Arsenal world. Well, it wasn't a good time. I think the last time we were recording was before last season. So, I mean, I don't think that we were unduly upset about anything. It was just like, it was just bad football and we just didn't look like a good team at the, at the time. So, I mean, we're a better team now. We look a lot better. Everybody's matured. Our Ted has matured. We've bought a lot more players. I mean, a there's lot a lot players. to be hopeful about. So it's a different time. And I'm, that makes me a different Tim on the podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm already going to deviate from my plan originally because um, you, you kind of triggered something into me um, and, I, and I really liked it. So I know at the beginning of the summer, you wrote down, on, and I love how you just had a, like a picture of your notepad with the, the shopping list. Do, do you add any, made any additions to that shopping list or do you still feel like the, that Arsenal's transfer business has been pretty good so far with how we've done? I did actually add a bunch of things to the shopping list, but they're more like... Um... They were more selling things. Yes. Okay. But at this point, I, it's really tough because the, the injury to Timber has kind of threw everything, a wrench into, I think, a lot of the plans for Arteta and Edu. So it's really tough to guess what they're going to do. I know he came out and, and, and said specifically that they're looking at midfield and forwards. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to read anything into that. He could have just been saying that off the cuff. It could be really deliberate. There's a lot of things that are going on there. And with the new, the way the new regime operates, regime sounds like a bad word. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. With the way the new management operates, they tend to be very thoughtful about things. So I, I would be surprised if, if they haven't thought through this and trying to figure out a solution to what looks to be a pretty sizable problem with injuries already. So, yeah. I, I was kind of thinking through this too. And it's like, we're almost back to where we were last time or last season. And like, that's not horrible. Right. Like, cause it's like, right. we've, we've, I guess it's just one of those, like we're, we're back to like another injury could make it bad again. But then, you know, I think Kivior has, you know, now had an extra four months you know, from the, the last time he kind of got thrown in there. So maybe he's a little bit more trusted. Uh, Tomiyasu, you know, he looked a little bit rusty at the start of preseason, kind of coming back in. But I thought there was some some moments against Nottingham Forest where Tomiyasu looked good. And um, if he's back, that gives a, a bit more internal depth. 
it still feels like maybe one short. Well, I mean, not really one short, because if you look at like our team, it's still like incredibly bloated, especially with like, you know, just the number of people that are theoretically there. But like with the people that we'd think would be realistic to play for the team, it feels like maybe one short. Yeah, it right? does. It's, it's the timber size hole. It's, it's weird to feel one short when you at the same time think, well, we could pretty easily sell Balogun or a number of players who probably aren't maybe aren't going to get any game time this season. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a real, it's, it's just a, it's just, it's a weird mind space to be in. I, I have a hard time with it. And I try, I actually, I'll be honest with you, Scott, I'm trying not to overthink it because it's, it, you could just, you could just sit here and go back and forth for hours over it. Well, of course you can. Like that's, that's what, you know, the, <laughs> a lot of the, the soccer, you know, podcast, media is built on is yeah, going back and forth right it is crazy right that's like if you think about it there's three defenders probably that we would absolutely all be willing to drive to the airport you know for free just to, to see them go inside the team right i think that you could absolutely say I, I don't want to see rob holding again for arsenal like it's a thank you very much he seems like an absolutely wonderful guy but he just doesn't really fit anymore um then there's cedric who is you know a guy yeah. that is a, a great great celebrator a great, great celebrator. <laughs> and then, you know, Kieran Tierney, you know, he's, he's always going to, I think, going to have like that little bit of that, that folk hero kind of thing where it, it plays up like he doesn't feel cold and, you know, comes in with his Tesco bag and, and all those kinds of things. So, uh, but I think all three of those guys, like, I think we'd all be okay seeing the back of, and even then, like, it still feels like oh, we could not sell one of them and probably theoretically have the numbers, but still feel like it's one short. Yeah, I still... Still struggle a bit with the idea of selling Tierney. Such a solid defender, has a very classical, I think, or maybe, maybe not classical uh, left back approach, but maybe a late Wenger from, era from a different era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 a Wenger era left back, so I, I have a soft spot for that. I mean, I understand if people like to see him sold or see if we could recoup some money on him, but but with it. And with him being so far behind, you know, Zinchenko and now even Timber, it just does seem like it would be unfair to hold on to him. But, but uh, yeah, he's the only one of those those two that I would say maybe we might might want to hold on to. Yep. Okay. So that's that's enough of me uh, deviating. So um, what I, what I did write down to to start here is a, a good way to also bring us eh, people maybe hopefully uh, thinking we're crazy or stupid. So I wanted to do a couple predictions here. Um, okay. I, I wrote some down here. So the first one is, I, I don't know which is the bigger prize anymore. Is it the Premier League or is it the Champions League? Which one would you, like if you had to, to choose between one, which one would you say is the bigger for, prize? For, for Arsenal. Arsenal. For yeah, Arsenal, for Arsenal. Champions League. Okay. Yeah. I, we've, I, never, I, we, we've never won it, so. Yeah, I was, I, I kind of go like, kind of like back and forth, like, I feel like almost like the modern Premier League is like a harder thing to do. Like it's a, a 38 game slog against literally the richest teams in the world. Yep. And the Champions League is still, you know, the the most prestigious of them, but I think there's a lot more chance that goes into it where, you know, if you can get a draw, you can kind of make it to that final and then in one game almost anything can happen. So it's like you're going to get a little bit more randomness in the Champions League, but it's the more prestigious trophy. I think yes. the Premier League is harder to win, even if it isn't quite at that same level. Look, I, I'll take a Champions League trophy if we play Shakhtar Donuts. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I Panathinaikos and and in and in the final we're playing, you know, Fenerbahce, I will take a Champions League trophy with the easiest possible schedule and everybody else going out on the worst possible luck. Actually, it would make it funnier in a lot of ways. So in my mind, I don't really I don't really care how we win it, just as long as we win it. And I agree with you, though, but the, about the Premier League being the 38-team <clears throat> slog. So I guess maybe I'm contradicting myself a little bit. It it is probably the more prestigious one, the, the the Premier League. But my point about how we haven't won the Champions League is the thing that, for me, we've won the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And we've won it in my lifetime. <laughs> I've seen us win it. We won it at White Hart Lane. We won it at Old Trafford. And we won it in the best possible way, you know, totally undefeated. So I, 
I would just I would just prefer the Champions League. So it's a preference thing. But you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. The Premier League is the more difficult of the two. Yeah, but you know what? I, I I totally agree with you there, right? And that's why I was kind of like everybody was like trying to throw away the Europa League last year, and I was like, no. You, you kind of look at Arsenal's like European history, and it's like it doesn't fit the level of the club, and it's like we, we kind of need some of these things. Exactly. And so like, I, yeah, I'm really excited to to be back in there. So we'll start with the the Premier League here. If if you were a, a betting man, who would you be putting your money on right now for the Premier League? Uh, Everton. So there's, I, think there's, I think there's two questions here. So it's like, who do you, if, who do you think is going to win, and who do you want to win? Well, <laughs> I think we already know who we want to win. But we want to win. We want. Yeah. We want Arsenal to win. Yeah. The competition this year is insane, in in my opinion, from what I've seen in the transfer market this year. It's just the competition has just gotten way stronger, mm-hmm. and yet you're still going to have to give it to Manchester City. They've done it already. They already are off to you know he Pep Guardiola is already whining about the schedules, so <laughs> so you know he's you in know, peak whining form. Well, he's in peak. He's that's right. He's in peak moaning form. So I and I think they're the strongest team. They've got the deepest team. They did pick up an injury to yeah. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. To, uh, yeah, De Bruyne. And so that's a huge blow for them. It's bigger than I think a lot of pundits are 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 calculating. But I still, you know, they're they're the richest team. They've got the deepest squad. They've got to be the favorites. So that's that's just that and and if you think about it another way, with them being favorites, if we do win, then it's a huge victory because they that's are the favorites, awesome. you know, that and so that's the way I look at it. I like to look at us as little bit of underdogs and it gives me a little bit more pride if we if we do bump them off the top yeah it absolutely i i mean i'm gonna i'd be a little devil's advocate and just say like they might have you know some of the weaknesses you know there's the the old pat riley the disease of winning where everybody now starts to want a little bit more of the the me 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 kind of thing so like how much of that kind of comes after winning the trouble like do they have a little bit less of that thing to be able to kind of strive towards now that they've climbed and, you know, reached the the zenith of the game. They've lost Gunduan, they're losing Mares, now they're losing De Bruyne. Like those are three really key parts of their team. So like you can almost kind of see that there's potentially, you know, a weakness that you could kind of talk yourself into with them yeah. at all. <laughs> I, I can still, right? I yeah. can see that people could talk themselves into that weakness, and then I would just say, <laughs> "Yeah, but they have Phil Foden, and they've got Holland, and they've got right, who's a cheat code, <laughs> and they've got Rodri." So I mean, yeah, okay, they they have they lost a few players, but they've got so much depth in that squad; it's just absurd. It's, it's yeah. ab- absolutely. I mean, they have they have the Argentinian forward who who yeah, Alvarez, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember his name because he's so deep in their squad now, you know, like it's just, it's just an absurd riches. It's so, it's so it's actually obscene to see how many really talented players they have. Yeah. I mean, they at least like have like a a squad that's somewhat limited. It's not like Chelsea who just, they're absolutely hoarding every single player on the planet. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, like sickening, like levels, like feels like there needs to be something that needs to be done there. Yeah, but something needs a, to be. Aggressive. I think that's a a discussion for maybe a little bit later down yeah. the line here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's see how many they get. They didn't pick up Elise today, which I think I feel good for him. Uh, I don't want to sidetrack the podcast, but I I really like him as a footballer, and I didn't want to see him buried under the rubble of Chelsea. So it's really good that he's decided to stick around at Crystal Palace. So. Exactly right, because you think about uh, Amari Hutchison, who was the you know the the coveted Arsenal prospect who was coming through and chose to go there, and yep. now feels like he's buried under like five or six guys, and he's probably going to go into be some sort of weird lone army type of thing, and uh, he may never see you know a chance to to get on the field ever again, and like, yep. it, it's always yeah, I, I always feel like the the advisory agents in Europe are significantly, you know, I don't think agents are always the the greatest even here in America, but I feel like it's at least somewhat better, like more aligned. It feels really weirdly as incentives with the, the agents in Europe because like the transfer yeah. fees, like it feels like they kind of have that kind of weird incentive too, because they get paid off of the transfer fees. Like it's always right. not quite 
matching, right? Like at least in America, like they need to get you a big contract to get paid. Here, right. like they don't need to necessarily get the player a big contract. They just need to get them a big transfer move to get paid. Right. Yeah. Which is always a little bit weird, right? And so it's like their incentives are not always there in the right spots. And it feels like that kind of drives a lot of weird moves that don't always make sense. Yep. But sure. I'm distracting myself again. Yeah, well, let's let's pick up Chelsea later. I mean, that's a good topic. I think that's an excellent topic because once we see how this all shakes out when the window closes, then yep. that would be a really great topic. All right. So the, the next one on the list is the Champions League. And this is one that, you know, again, it, it's very hard at this stage when we haven't even started the group stage, but uh, to see who's going to come out here at the top. And, and I, I got a, a hint here from you earlier, what you think is the, the chance of, of winning this one. So who do, who do you have for the Champions League? I have Arsenal. The Champions yeah. League, and the reason for that, it, well, there's lots of reasons, but I, I we we did such a great job strengthening our midfield, mm-hmm. and the and the other thing about this is is, and I know Arteta gets criticized for his in-game substitutions sometimes, but I really think that Arteta is a a, a student of the game. He studies the opponents very closely, and you could see what happened. I I I had made the prediction before. Mm-hmm. The, the the league uh, not the league cup the uh, the Premier League the charity started, shield yeah. Yeah. okay yeah uh, before the charity shield match but what he did in that match to to sort of absolutely shut them down in midfield and in and and shut Holland down was I thought I thought was one of his more was one of his better uh, tactical approaches to a game in the season and so with him at the level that he's at. So I think he's got many years of experience now as a head coach. He's really starting to understand his team. I think he knows how he wants his team to play. And I think he has tactical flexibility in the squad, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But given all of those things, I really do think that we are at least one of the top three teams, if not the one of the best teams. And I just want to say one more thing about this is that at heart, I believe that Arteta is actually a defensive coach. I think I, I say the same thing about Pep Guardiola. I know that his system is, is attack, 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 or it looks like it's attack, 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 but it's attack, attack, attack in order to defend. And I think that Arteta is also a defensive coach at heart. And I unfortunately do believe that a defensive coach is the correct kind of coach to win the champions league. That it's the harder of the, uh, it's the more difficult uh, systems to break down, and you know, one off, ninety minutes, going to penalties, those kinds of things. I think all play into uh, into giving Arteta and Arsenal a pretty strong hand this year. Yeah, and that is a really interesting point. And so, like, I don't know if you ever read the the book. I think it was a Pep Confidential about his like his season at Bayern. And I think that is also really where I got that same like kind of impression for him, like how much he like focused on figuring out how to handle the the counterattacking tactics that is basically the Bundesliga. Because like that whole league is transition, 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 and like figuring about how he can impose his control onto that was just fascinating to see like how much he wanted to do that. And yeah, I think you are absolutely right. Like everything that he like, but I think both him and Arteta are built on control, right? Yep. Like we are going to control the ball and that's how we're going to defend. We're going to control space. We're going to yep. make you play where we want to play. And that's how we're going to be able to do it. And I think that is a, a really interesting kind of thought, right? Yeah. Well, and, and again, the tactical flexibility that he's going to have with the players that he has this season, I think is going to give him a, a well, I think we've already seen it in the first game, and I think it's going to give him, hopefully going to give him the flexibility he needs to overcome the obstacles. That's really what winning a Champions League is about. If the Premier League, like you said, is a 38-game slog, it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You're just plodding along, trying to pick up points every single time. doesn't matter how you do it. The, the Champions League is a much more sort of, you know, real quick, get it done and dirty, and and if you can get out of it in six games, then you're you know or more more than six games, but you get the point. Nine games, ten games, you are you're you're going to win the Champions League, and that and that takes strong defensive coordination and tactical flexibility. And I think we have both of those things. Yeah, and I think that 
we've added, I think the, the Havertz thing is really interesting for yep. games like that to seeing like how he was able to play against city. And like, it really kind of, I, I could see the vision of why you wanted a player like this to be able to do it. I thought both Havertz and Odegaard's pressing against city was like top notch, yep. like both of them bending the runs, forcing city to kind of go, you know, where we wanted them to be able to go. It's obviously Manchester city. So they're going to beat you from time to time, but I think they really made it hard for them to be able to play how they wanted to play it and be able to, you know, really kind of give Pep some things to think about. And I think that is a new, interesting kind of wrinkle to this Arsenal team. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. All right, this next one I've like gone back and forth on. So this is okay. Arsenal's top scorer this season. Who do, who do you think it's going to be? I, I picked Saka okay. for this one. <laughs> I, and I think my, my main reasoning is I think he's going to take penalties. And I think that uh-huh. like we saw against Nottingham Forest, like that one, like that move where he starts a little bit more inside, like not right at the corner of the 18 yard box, but like, two or three more yards and then like he just has like he's developed that robin type move where like everybody knows he's going left everybody knows he's going left but you cannot stop him and he gets that extra yard of space to like curl i think he's gonna have like three to five of those this year and that's really gonna bump him to like where he's maybe 15 to 18 goals is kind of my my guess for him right now yeah no, that's and he's great. also going to play like 38 games, you know, 90 minutes all the time, right? Yeah, like he's just, yeah. He, <laughs> Sack is fit, he plays. Sack yeah. is 70% fit, he plays. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And he gets kicked every game too. Yeah. Yeah, Sacco was my my choice also. I mean, I imagine your other pick is probably Martinelli and it's a, get, it's a great pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Martinelli's as pure of a scorer as Sacco is. Like not as pretty, right? I think there's something yeah. about like it's it's like even like baseball, like you know, you see somebody with a beautiful like left-handed swing, and it's like, oh, that just looks so good and right. And it's same yeah. thing with like somebody who's like a left-footed soccer player, like the way they kick the ball, it just looks better, right? I don't know if that's yeah. like something weird in our brains, but it's I don't know if that that's also for you as well. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. But I think that, <clears throat> but I think that the reason why I wouldn't pick Martinelli is because. As we saw in the um, in the charity shield, actually, when we saw in the first game this weekend against Nottingham Forest, he was being used more as a the breakdown guy. So he was breaking them down on the left hand side. A lot of teams are going to try to do that to us, squeeze us, make us push push mm-hmm. us wide outside, and <clears throat> that's where um, Martinelli, I think, is going to end up getting more assists this season than he got last season and fewer goals because they're going to be targeting him, double teaming him, double teaming Saka. I think Saka is going to get a, he, he's Saka is going to be better at getting out of the double team. Although, mm-hmm. although Martinelli did it awesome twice. We're going to get to that. I'm sure. But yeah, but, but yeah, I just, I just kind of, that's just a gut feeling. I think he's going to end up getting more assists this season. Than yeah, and, and I think, you know, you kind of think about like the, where they play like Saka just has that advantage of starting almost like one lane closer to goal. So he just doesn't have as much to go in there. And I guess it'll also kind of maybe depend a bit on, you know, who the the striker is. Um, If there's Jesus, like I think that, you know, he's more inclined to rotate with Martinelli, be able to bring Martinelli come into a little bit more central positions. And if that's the case, like maybe Martinelli can do it. But it does feel like there's going to be like right. You we, we're, we're totally ignoring our you know joint top scorer last year, Odegaard, yeah, who still looks like he's got it in there. Uh, new guy Kai Havertz coming in, uh, Gabriel Jesus, right? It feels like there's it's going to be like goals all around um, this year, and I, I feel pretty confident right, that you know even Trissard, um, I think he has a, a chance at getting double figures. I think there is a, a good legit chance that we might have five guys getting to double figures again yeah. for goals. I was really surprised when I went back and looked at Trissard's uh, stats from last season. I, I thought he had double, fi- I thought he had not double figures, but I thought he had four or five goals, but did he have just five. one for Arsenal? Yeah, just, or? One. just yeah. one. Well, there was, there was one that was disallowed, which was absolutely the most BS thing in the world, right? There was oh. that goal that he scored. That was like a screamer from like the top of the box. Yeah. Was that the one that, that- the Ben White, like holding got pulled back for? Yeah. I can't remember that one. Yeah. Like, he was holding uh, the goalie's yeah, hand. I try to put those things out of my. I, I try right? to yeah. not 
I get infuriated if I remember all of those things. <laughs> yeah, I just I just remembered the beautiful goal, and I remember it was unfairly disallowed. I try not to you also remember the details, but yeah, that one was a yeah a real nice one. Yeah, I wanted to do the arch dive in like you know, I was like shaking my hand, like it was so good. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> All right, next question here, and this one you know you're gonna have to put your your Nostradamus hat on here. Okay. When, if ever, does Rice take over at the six slash four? Just uh, do you call it a six or do you call it a four? Okay. Yeah. Right. The, the classic English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Vieira. I know. I know. I, and Rice wears the 41 and he wears the 41 because yeah. he wants to be the four. Yep. Well, I mean, I think he kind of did on, on, on day one. Yep. Whether he'll continue. So this is a tough, this is a tough question because Rice offers a tech. So Rice has a few little flaws mm-hmm. and he also offers a bit of tactical flexibility. So one of his flaws is he doesn't really like to receive the ball with his back to the defenders. So he's not a he's not really good at turning, and he's got a little bit of a weakness in in his own turn when he receives the ball. He doesn't turn quite as well as as other people. I I have I used to put that down to him being one footed, but I think it's actually just down to him having been playing face forward the entire time. Most of his career. Right, yeah, started off as a, a center back and then moved into midfield more. Right. Yeah. So it's really difficult to learn to play with your back to the defenders and your back to basically the entire team. So I think it's going to be a while before he really grows into that position, but I absolutely have no, ha- no, no worries that Arteta is going to make that work. Because mm-hmm. that was what Arteta did. And, Rice joined this team in order to get literally, I think that instruction from Arteta because I think he knows he has that weakness in his game. And I think it's going to take him a while to, <clears throat> to grow into that. So while he did nominally start as a six, four, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Six, the DM. Let's, yeah. Let's call it a six. We'll call it a six because everybody calls it a six nowadays. Uh party ended up taking over that a lot in his role as the quote unquote right back. So, and that gave Rice a little bit more freedom to move up the pitch a little bit more and to do what he does, which is what he does so well, which is actually crush the opponent's counterattacks and uh, attempts to move through the midfield. So so I, while I think I mean, we can argue about this forever and ever, I mean, he did start at day one, technically at the six, but it's part of the box midfield. Is it a six? It's almost, like a, it's almost the the double pivot kind of thing, it and is, that's right because it it's like we've, we've done that for a year now. With yep. you know, before it was Zinchenko coming in to create a double pivot with with Party. Yep. You know, now it's you know Rice there and whatever else thing that we, we kind of do for. I don't know if it's going to be you know how long it's going to be Thomas Party that that does it, or if it's going to be Rice or you know Zinchenko. Well, the, I mean, it's that's interesting, right? Because they both kind of have that left side, right? Yeah. The real evolution is if you can get it, if you can get that um, three four three that he wants to play, to play more of a three one three three, so that you get a lot more players in attack. And I think he tried mm-hmm. to do that against Nottingham Forest, uh, where I think we did have six players in attack against their five defenders. But there were f- quite a few times where we did revert back to the double pivot. I mean, it's a it's a fluid system. It's hard to tell. It's hard to be so very precise about it or to say definitively that he was the six on day one, but I think he'll be more of a six and I think he'll be entrusted to be more of the lone six as he gets more and more better at the game. Yeah. So, I think this is probably the, you think about the positions and, you know, the roles and the responsibilities that are given to the players, the, you know, the DM at Arsenal right now has absolutely the most responsibility I think yeah. of anyone on the field. And it's a absolutely uh, hard, hard position to play with very high, uh, you know, yeah. margins or, you know, uh, or very few margins, low margins to be able to do it. Especially right. Cause you've seen, yeah. Cause you've seen Thomas party, the, you know, the last few times make some mistakes that have led to Arsenal, you know, running backwards, defending their own goal. And I, I think that, you know, you see some of those things and you think, that's exactly why I think we brought in Rice 
Because I think there's certain things that Thomas Party is able to do, right? Like, you know, talk about uh, getting the ball with the, the back to goal, you know, that first touch, taking it past the defender and then being able to go forward. You know, Rice right. doesn't quite have that there. But you think about, you know, com- coming up and, you know, being able to challenge, stop a counterattack, even if he is beaten, like he oh, just yeah. has like a sneaky speed right you don't yeah. expect like a guy of his size to be able to cover and close down space as quickly as he does um and he absolutely i think can do some of those things and i think that that's I that next evolution i played against guys like that where they're where you don't expect them to be able to catch you and they're just running along and then they're they're just able to stop they're able to 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 judge where the ball is going to be and they're and what they're doing is they're almost hunting you like a like a cat and a mouse and they're they're just waiting for you to be in the right spot that's when they make their tackle it's it's a, it's a it's a hell of a skill it's it's a it's 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 a skill in and of itself and yeah right to not foul players like right to be able yeah. to do those kinds of things that was one of the things that I, when i was looking at it when we first brought it in i was like absolutely amazed for somebody that has that much responsibility on the ball, how many tackles and just duels that he goes into, like he is really, really good at coming out without a foul. Yeah, absolutely. I think he took the ball off a couple players on the weekend where I would say probably 50% of the other players in the league would have fouled, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he just, and, or even more, because there were some of those, he does that little telescopic wrap around the leg tackle. That's I, I wouldn't recommend very many people <laughs> do, but he can do it. So and he gets away with it. He wins the ball. Yeah. And it's it's kind of – and he doesn't hurt the person when he does it. It's kind of it's, – it's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. He's I a great Aaron, I'm very happy for that signing. Yeah, I remember Aaron Ramsey used to do a lot like those kinds of tackles, but he did not have them come off with nearly the success rate. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he always did the, you know, the, the one where he did it and he always had the intention of, I'm going to get this ball and I'm placing it to a teammate. And like when it came off, like it was really, really effective. It just came off only like 25% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, The next one here is, does Havertz start more than 22 matches in midfield? So we're going to, you know, use the the nominal midfield uh, that they show like on the the who scored graphics or the, oh, the okay. FBRF graphics, right? So like putting them in midfield. So like uh, equal to like Odegaard. Odegaard played midfield last year, even though he was more of an attacking midfielder. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. I think that is the goal. But with injuries already, what we're mm-hmm. seeing now, you're saying starting. So yeah. I noticed that there's two little... Keywords here, three. We got three key things. Start, 22, midfield. <laughs> yes. So my answer is under. I don't think it'll okay. be over. I don't think it'll be over. I, I'm going with under. Okay. Because, because of his tactical flexibility, because of the injuries that we've already got to key players, I think he's going to end up playing the number nine a lot more than people want him to, which is fine. They can want whatever they want. But he's going to play. He's going to play the number nine more than he's going to play the number. Well, that's a good question. Is he going to be the eight more than the nine? I don't know. It's a it really might be about question. equal, which is you know kind of is this be. right. It could even actually he probably won't play. I think he's going to play midfield more, but okay. I think he's going to play a little bit of everywhere. Um, I, I I kind of see him as almost like that number yeah. one, even backup for Saka if we don't have another player coming in at that spot. I think that would be a really interesting way to get him kind of in the field as well, where you can almost play as a, a second striker off of them, you know, be able to to kind of have a, a two up top, um, especially if it's Jesus, right? You know, Jesus has that natural inclination to want to come into midfield. Um, I think Odegaard is comfortable, you know, kind of doing the, you know, a combination on that right hand side. And it would just be a, a very interesting, fluid kind of, absolute nightmare to try to mark and line up against yeah for sure i saw that same thing he can even he can even play for odegaard if odegaard needs a rest or something like that it's a he's you in fact i think we saw them switch positions in the in the forest game this weekend so oh absolutely right he definitely took up a lot of different positions that i don't think you would have ever seen granite jacka take up yeah yeah for sure 
Um, that brings well, us into the, the next one. Like, okay, yeah, going under. I think that's, it, it feels about right. I think it might be about like half the matches. Like, I think if it's like that 1920-ish range, yeah. I think that's probably about right because I think we'll see a lot of Trissard. I think we'll see, you know, uh, I think we'll even see Rice in some games where, you know, maybe, you know, yes. Havertz isn't there being able to do that, right? If we wanted, you know, a big away game and we just want a little bit more midfield control for like the first 60 minutes and then Havertz kind of comes in against, you know, do the fresh legs kind of thing. I, 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 I'm, I see the vision with Havertz, even if not everybody does. Yep, I agree. Next one here, uh, you know, continues with a little bit of the Havertz one. So who's going to score more goals this year, uh, Havertz or Xhaka? Uh, so this can be either per 90 or uh, totals. I know that the Bundesliga plays less matches, so it's not a, a perfect, easy matchup. But they'll probably play similar minutes, I think. I'm going with Havertz. Okay, I think that's where I kind of lean to. So this is an absolute weird hypothetical that, again, wasn't okay. on the list, but... Who would you expect to score more goals with Arsenal if they were in the 2023-24 team, Havertz or Xhaka playing? You know, so we didn't get Havertz and we just kept Xhaka. You know, would he, who would you pick to have more goals, you think, between those two? Oh, well. So Xhaka I mean, in the same role as last year, basically. Yeah, I hate, to, I, hate to, I hate to point this out, but Xhaka did have... He overperformed his XG mm -hmm. quite a bit. What was it like uh, seven goals from four XG or something like that? Yes, or maybe three and a half XG. Like, yeah, it was a, it was a low. It was it was a pretty good overperformance. I think that they would be relatively the same. Actually, okay. Havertz might score a few more. I'm not actually sure. Havertz is kind of interesting. His right foot, his percentages since he joined the Premier League have been really poor. So he underperforms his XG, but he gets a lot of goal. He gets a lot of chances. Yeah. So uh, oddly, they basically have the same kind of goal scoring record, but but Havertz gets into better chance, gets into better places, and then just misses. So I know that finishing is a skill. I know that he's young-ish. Eh, he should be better at this point. So he might end up frustrating quite a bit, but. If we ignore the XG, I think that they would end up have they would have ended up it would I, I would say this he would have more XG and score the same goals and Shaka would have less XG and score the same goals <laughs> all that Shaka was just a better finisher you know especially in his last year he he really developed that as a he really developed that final touch which was surprise to me so yeah and, and this isn't usually something that you like beat up a player with but it's it's almost like Havertz should be more one-footed because you kind of look back at like his his numbers and like yeah. a lot a lot of his underperformance comes yes. with his weak right foot yes right? I, I'm looking here on, on understat yep. and he has 12 you know 12.3 expected goals from his right foot only seven goals yeah. from his left foot which is a stronger foot he's got 33 and a half expected goals 36 goals um yeah. and then headers it's 12 and 12 right yeah. so it's like almost all of his underperformance comes from the weaker foot type of shots and it's like yep. maybe he just needs to be a little bit more one-footed like i know we we absolutely beat players up for that but it's like maybe maybe in this chance we shouldn't well, in the charity shield, you saw it when he had to take a touch to and and create a space on his right foot. He it was slower, and yeah, he's just slower with that foot. And I think that's just how it's going to be. So we're just going to have to accept that that's how he is. It's hard for Arsenal fans to do that. We always want everybody to be perfect, but yeah, not everybody can be Santi Cazorla, right? <laughs> that's right. Not everybody can be Santi Cazorla or 2023-23 Granite Shaka. Not everybody can be perfect. <laughs> All right. Do you have any other wild predictions that you want to make and get on the record with here before we no. uh, kind of shift gears here? <laughs> no. All right. I don't want to be held to any other wild predictions. <laughs> These are good enough. Yeah. So the next one I wanted to, to kind of talk a little bit about some of the rivals and the transfers that are kind right. of going on because like that is still the the big news and the thing that that's going to be kind of dominating the conversation for the next two weeks. Has there been any specific kind of transfer done by our rivals that are making you nervous right now? Not specific tra transfers, just the the bolt. Well, so I'll start out by saying that 
I was really upset that Liverpool got McAllister. I know that it was like the least kept secret, the least best kept secret in the world that he was going there. But I really love him as a player, and I mm-hmm. thought he would be the best player to take over for Shaka. Um, so it was a little bit, it was a little bit miffed at that. But uh, but I mean, it, it. But Liverpool's kind of like struggling a little bit with their transfers. So it's it's really strange. You know, a lot of money's being spent. A lot of players are coming in, and a lot of guys are fighting over the same players. A lot of teams are fighting over the same players, but. But, you know, you've got Chelsea hoarding everyone. You've got Liverpool kind of doing a few few pieces of good business, but but also... Still feels like oh, a yeah. very incomplete team. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really strange. It's really strange. I mean, I would normally be really nervous about these teams. And at the beginning of the summer, I was. But as the summers wear, wore on... I feel less and less worried about the other teams in the top. I'm not saying they're not. It's not going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight for every one of the top five positions, and and or six positions, depending on how how deep you want to go there. But but it, it's it's just I just I don't know. I just feel like we've done really well in the transfer market. I know that we got hit by the ACL to Timber, and that's a huge blow, but. But I think that uh, I I just feel really confident about this team right now, so it's it's an interesting place to be. The one I would pick out is the funniest transfer is of course Harry Kane to to Bayern Munich. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so the funny part about it is is that you know we've been we've been teasing him for years and years that he has to leave Tottenham to win a trophy. So he goes to he goes to Bayern, he gets his first game, and he doesn't. Right, and you think like oh, it's Bayern Munich? They that's all they do is win trophies in Germany. And he doesn't do it. <laughs> so did, did you see the the clip of him going to you know plead his case for uh, a penalty? And then yes, you know, he had that, that shock look on his face. It's like, oh crap, I don't speak German. What am I gonna do here? <laughs> I did see that. But the reason I pointed out is because is because even with the hundred million pounds that they're going to get or whatever they got from that transfer, I didn't pay too close attention to it. That's a, that's a mid table club. You know, if you're relying on Hyungmin son, who is, hasn't been the same Washed. for a couple of years. Yeah. And then, and then you're relying on Richarlison of all the people to be your main goal scorer. I, I mean, everybody says, Oh, he's a starting forward for Brazil. He's a starting forward for Brazil for one very specific reason. And that's because he's the only Brazilian who doesn't like ball to feet. <laughs> Everybody else on that team wants the ball all the time. So that's the only reason why he's the starter. He's fine for them. He does fine. They know how to get him the ball. Right. And you know, the, the Brazilian team has uh, uh, ridiculous riches of other scoring yeah. forwards to be able to to handle doing that, right? I think that's why you know even Jesus can you know look really really good in that role. Or they they had Firmino for a longest time of right. being able to like fill that kind of role, like where the striker doesn't need to be a goal scoring a goal yeah. scoring striker for Brazil. So, in terms of top of the table, that's the one club I just want to point out. I think that they're going to end up being somewhere mid table. This season, yeah. I'm going below eighth for them. Uh, he really carried them uh, far, but the rest of the teams, it's. I mean, I literally could throw them up in the air, and you know, every Newcastle, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Manchester City, with Manchester City and Arsenal kind of coming to the top quite a bit, fighting it out for the first for for the first place. The other teams are really going to push us hard. Um, even Chelsea, which have been a crazy mix of players, unbalanced team. They got a lot of talent on that team and they're going to make games hard. You, I mean, we saw it this weekend with Liverpool, Chelsea. It, it's just going to, it's going to be a dog fight. The season's just going to be just, it's just straight up dog fight. Yeah. And you know, the, the midfield of Enzo and Caicedo, I, I hate to admit it, oh, yeah. but like that, that looks really, really good and oh. <laughs> quite dangerous to be able to, to kind of do that. Right. You know, you get Enzo pushed a little bit further forward, being able to kind of pull the strings to be able to do it. I mean, it's still a matter of like who's going to score the goals there for them to be able to to kind of do it without right. Nkunku, um leading the line, which I think is a an absolute change to I think their original plans. 
but yeah, like there's, they have literally gone out and bought like the most talented, you know, under 23 players that they're really out there. Uh, it's hard to say that they haven't brought in a bunch of talent, but it is a matter of uh, young talent doesn't always develop and it absolutely does not always develop uh, linearly um, right. at the same time. So it's like, if you told me they challenged to, you know, second, third, I would not be surprised if you told me they were still kind of uh, figuring it out in May and our seventh, eighth, maybe even 10th, I would also be like, okay, I, I could see that, right? You know, there's there's all sorts of massive things that can kind of happen with that team, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, that brings me into another good one here. Which, I guess, result I think would uh, change your priors the most or, you know, it's causing you to to overreact the most from the, the first weekend. Um, any teams really jumping out at you? Stupid Newcastle. I know, right? Uh, I, I wanted to discount them so badly. That that I mean, I you know, I watched Toliso in the in Serie A. He's good, 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 fantastic footballer. But I never, I didn't expect him to jump that soon, right into scoring goals in the Premier League. So they were a little bit, you know, I think there was a little bit of luck to some of their goals, but mm-hmm. I mean, luck to. What did they score five? Yeah. <laughs> well, there was some luck to their five goals. And they beat Aston Villa, who a lot of people, I think, I think a little bit wrongly overrated Unai Emery. Yeah. They, they didn't have the, the up close and personal experience that the Arsenal <laughs> fans had seen. Right. <laughs> that was that. I, I'm blocking. <laughs> that, did you, yeah. Talk about things we don't want to remember. I'm blocking those seasons out. Yeah. So. That really did kind of worry me a little bit and it pushed them back up into the top, into that top five, I think. Definitely. Yeah, up into the top five. So that was one, that was the one thing that moved, moved me a little bit, you know. Yeah. And I, I think too, like it felt like Aston Villa like played exactly almost into what Newcastle wanted to be able to do. Like Newcastle love to come out to a fast start against their home team or it's the home crowd and be able to get them into the game. And they absolutely did that. And then it just felt like Newcastle loves to exploit space, right? Like they, they're a good pressing team. Like they have a, a really good solid shape that they do. And then it's, we get the ball back and we're very direct and like, Aston Villa did not really seem well prepared to handle those kinds of situations. Um, I mean, the score effect, I mean, absolutely, I think plays into that too, right? Um, Once they get that, you know, you know, the, the second goal to go two one, it felt like uh, Aston Villa was in big, big trouble, um, especially after losing Tyrone Mings as well. Right. But that, I mean, that does speak to the strength of that team though. So that's the, that's the real problem that I see with Newcastle is if they can get, If they can get those early leads and they can get that, that sort of jump out like that and press teams and smash them the way that they have been able to do quite a bit over the last second, the second half of last season and, and opening game of this season, that's that's a that's a worry for me. It absolutely is, right? No, they've they've definitely moved up my mental rankings. Um, I think I have them like I think I might put them in third. I think right now, oh, wow. personally, well, wow. I, I don't. I was not impressed by Manchester United. At all, I don't know Fair. what you had in me, right? <laughs> like that one felt like a, a match that I've seen previously. That felt like a lot of like the Unai Emery type matches where yeah. it was just way, way too easy for uh, Wolves to be able to kind of cut through that team. Like it felt like Tain Hogg tried to do the inverted fullback kind of thing, uh-huh. but they like left Casemiro on an island. And I know one of the big worries that I always had with like trying to do a mount. Bruno Fernandez, Casemiro midfield mm. is that it, this exact thing. It's just like it felt like there would be no resistance to be able to kind of do it um, because Mason Mount like is nominally replacing Ericsson. But I think people think of Ericsson back as like his original Tottenham days, but it's like he became oh, like no. a lot more of like a reserved midfielder yeah, doing a lot of the ball progression. And like, that's not Casemiro's strength. Like Casemiro is like a fine, like on the ball, but he is not a guy that you leave at the base and like, you know, Oh, expect him to do like the deep lying playmaking. Like that was Ericsson for them last year. And I think that's something that they are absolutely missing right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Manchester United, Liverpool, they don't, they didn't really impress me this week, that first weekend, but, uh, but yeah, Newcastle, 
Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one I'm worried about. So, do you have any concerns about Arsenal coming out of that Forest match? Um, I know I, I had some, but I don't know if I'm overreacting or over concerning. So, did you did you have anything that, that jumped out at you, or were you I pretty? Did. So okay. I have a thing. I have a thing that I talk about sometimes on my blog, and I don't know if people are tired of hearing me say it, but there are times when I'm watching a game. And if I start to get bored and I start reaching for my phone, because I take notes, I take paper yeah. notes on all my games. And if I start reaching for my phone and looking for something else, I'll catch myself doing it. And if I do it over and over again, I know that we're in a bad, we're in actually a bad period. So, and I know that I've argued with people today on Twitter, which I don't try to do anymore, that it was a game effect, like you, it's a score effect, like you would mm-hmm. point out. We were two two nil ahead. We don't need to be pressing for goals. We don't need to be pounding the box, trying to you know stretching ourselves, trying to get more goals. But the start of that second half was just so listless and lifeless. And I've seen that before from this team. And I know what Arteta's trying to do. I know he's into the periodization thing. I know he's trying to control the game in different ways. And I respect him. I'm not telling him what to do, how to do his job. He won the game. But it is just one of those things that just like. When I see it, when I feel it, it makes me, it gives me just a moment of like a moment of hesitation. Is that like, okay, so what's going on here? What are we doing? How are we going to overcome this? And I think that the reason I've put a little bit of thought into this this week, and I think the reason why it bothers me so much is because the best teams can do that thing where they take their foot off the gas, but when they need to, they can put the foot back down and they can take control of the game again. And I don't know if we really did that very well in this game. And against a pretty weak opponent, so I was that was the only thing that I was <clears throat> a little bit, you know, frustrated with. Yeah, and I think that's Is that an overreaction on my part. I don't know. No, I think that's a, a valid concern, right? Because you thought about like what happened after the goal, right? I mean, to me, like I always kind of you know think about like what would be the ideal situation, and it's like what you've seen from Manchester City for you know so many times is oh they they get kind of a you know, it's almost like a fluky goal, right? Because that comes from an attacking corner that we have. And, you know, the ball kind of bounces out weird and it's fresh legs against tired legs. And, you know, that happens, right? Like that's right. That happens. Um, Not the end of the world. Like your two goals up, like you can live with that. But it's like after that, like it should have been like death by a thousand passes kind of a thing. And like, let's just go and smother and suffocate this match, you know, really push them back you know, be able to, to kind of do those kinds of things. And, you know, we still have our, you know, four guys kind of in reserve and like, don't overcommit to doing things. And it just felt like it was, that's, it came more transitiony or a lot more transitiony than I would have liked to have seen. Yes. Not that Forrest really had like any great, great chances, but it was still just a, just a touch too like out of control. Yeah. So that's when I got excited again. And so that's the problem is if I get bored, I know that we're going to go into a, a moment where I, that I don't like. And then if we, get, then if I get excited again, then I'm not happy. It made me nervous about the game. Damn it. Don't do that to me. Just crush these little guys and make me nervous about the big games. Yeah. Not <laughs> at like five o'clock in the morning either. Right. Like I'm only, you know, <laughs> that's right. They made me get up at four 30, even though it was, it started a half an hour late. Yeah. Half an hour late. Right. It's like, I was, I was, I was whining. I was in full pet mode whining. It's like, yeah, I was like, why did we? I knew that could note if I had another half an hour. I was taking it. I'll just say, I want to say this. I took the opposite approach. I was like, wow, it took them only a half an hour. <laughs> no, that that was like pretty impressive that they were right? able to get like the people through in that kind of a thing. That's, that's um, I thought that was an hour delay at least, right? Because there was like half the stands that were empty yeah. like at that that time that they had to get through. Yeah, they got the whole the stadium was full. The fans were singing. They were playing the angel song, and everybody was happy. And uh, I mean, shoo. I know it was a half an hour wait, and the, but the British are absolutely astonishingly good at queuing. So oh, absolutely! Shouldn't have bothered them, and they they did it orderly. They went in and they saw they saw their Arsenal win. So so yeah, and hey, maybe the thirty minute wait actually had something to do with the slump in that beginning of the second half. I know that they really strongly. I know that they really tightly control these players' calories and stuff, and it can be kind of a wrench so i'm let's say let's just say that they had a bad second start to the second half because they were 30 minutes late and they needed an extra sandwich at halftime or something maybe right you know maybe there's some sort of psychological thing right you saw one of your your teammates that it was an obvious 
uh, discomfort, you know, ended up being a, an ACL injury. So maybe there's a little bit of that where, you know, maybe your focus yeah. is slightly shaken there for a second. You know, we're all human, right? They're, they're certainly not robots out there. And that's a, you know, professional that they obviously, you know, it's a teammate and it sucks to, to see those kinds of things happen. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to beat them up too much here, right? The one game, right. you know, maybe it's the first one. You're still, you, you know, working things out. It looks still again like, you know, they're not like last season where it felt like we had this style of play that was uh, drilled and developed in preseason. And I think that we were able to get players a little bit more at a fitness level to start the season where they were ready to go uh, that 80, 90 minutes. Like now it still felt like everybody was kind of tired at 60. So like it still felt like they're building up that match fitness type of thing. Yeah. Yep. I agree. But all right. No, no, no. We're just, I was just gonna say we're, yeah, we're, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be fine. All right. Uh, the last one here, uh, the big question I think for Monday night, uh, well, I think there's two, there's two big questions I think for Monday night is, uh, the first one is the, the left back role. Um, so it looks like Arsenal did a behind, uh, closed doors friendly with Luton today. Uh, Zinchenko was able to play, um, which was a, a good news. And, maybe points towards him being able to, to start on Monday. Um, if he's fit, is that your, your guy that you pick? Oof. That's a good question. So with, with, with Zinchenko, I think he does drop off quite a bit if he's not a hundred percent. And then even if he does start the game, he's going to have to be subbed off. Yeah. So he whatever, only have like 50 minutes in his legs kind of thing. Yeah. He's only going to have 45, 50 minutes in his legs. 45 good ones, maybe 60 <laughs> total. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that we saw a little bit of the Kiwi or experiment last season. Yeah. I don't know if we'll see that again. I know that we could try Kiwi or Saliba and, and uh, Ben White, Benjamin White. Yeah. Try to do with, that back three type thing again. Yeah. But with um, party as the nominal right back position. Although again, what, what uh, if you? I don't know if you wa- you watched. I'm sure you watched the goal again, the the Nottingham Forest goal again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see party. He just gets beat. diving in right. Yeah, yeah. He just gets beat, and it's just. There was a so couple anyway, of those moments where he's in like that right back position, and yeah. like he doesn't have a sense yet for the space that he needs to be able to cover and the distances with his teammates out there right now. It looks like a midfielder, just, you know, playing out at it right back, and it's not always pretty. Um, and I feel like maybe maybe he's lost a, a touch of a step on yeah. some of these closing out things, there's right? Couple, he is. There was a couple of times last season where I thought that I, I don't think that he. I think he switches off a little bit, actually. I don't, I don't think that he's always 100% on in games. Mm-hmm. So even if you've lost a step, if you – I mean, I'm an older guy. You know, even as I lost steps, I could figure out where to be most of the time in yeah. order to cover. So you use your brain as you get older and slower. And I'm sure he has a brain, but uh, but but – he just seems to have been switched off a couple times. He did it against Manchester City a couple times, mm-hmm. which were really shocking examples. Right, that's the other one that led to the the you know the Cole Palmer goal. Right, that was from him coming up early and Bernardo turning him a yep. little too easily. Yep. So, and and last season he did it in the City game. So he's just got a few little times where he kind of switches off. So it does make me wonder if Arteta will start him on at right back. So that's the real question. You know if. If he wants to start, it's it's a good it's it's a good question. But I I would say, in le- I mean, man, I don't know. I mean, you could you could even see you know Tommy Asu, right? Yeah, you could go, we could go with a big big back four, right? You could go with yeah. like a a Tommy Asu, Gabrielle Saliba, White. And, you know, like that's something that's going to be like, we're, we're going to come into an away game. We're going to be defensively solid, you know, and then we could always change it, you know, later in the game if we yeah. needed to. Yeah, it's it's a tough question. I'm really glad to hear that Zinchenko made it through a training session. So that's good. I was going to say I don't think Arteta would push it, but actually I think Arteta would push it. So I think we'll probably see Zinchenko start, but but. 
and right? then and it's like, yeah, one of those, like maybe like we get out to that early lead and then at 60 minutes, we're able yep. to, to bring somebody else on. Like, I think if you were writing it down, like that might be like how you script it. Yep. And then if you have Zinchenko start, that's where the big question comes. Then are you going to see, are we going to see Rice at the six at that point? Mm-hmm. So is yeah. he going to sit Thomas party and then, or is he going to play party in the six and push Rice to the eight and play Havertz as the nine? So yeah. I don't know. Those are the, that's really kind of like, it's almost like a domino effect. If we have the left sided preferred uh, inverted fullback, which is Zinchenko, does he start Rice higher up the pitch? So um, I would say since it's a guessing game and I can't really get in trouble for guessing, no, I would can't. say we're going to start Zinchenko. Rice is going to play the eight and Havertz will play the nine. Okay. Yeah. Cause that was the, the second part of the the question. And I think that's the one that, you know, it does kind of, it's downstream from the, the left back. Is it Eddie? Is it Trissard? Is it Havertz at the, the striker role? Yeah. I, I kind of think I'm, I'm with you that it might be Havertz at striker. And yeah, I think we'll see, you know, Rice and party still both in midfield. I, okay. actually, I, I saw Rice, a couple of those attacking moments, I thought he looked pretty good, right? Because there was, right? Because we did play with like almost a six in attack with Rice stepping up. And I thought that he had a, yes. a, pretty, a couple of good moments there. So I, I wouldn't be against seeing him be able to to do a little bit more I there. I and it's a, a way, lot of, big, you know, Sellers Park is not easy. It's true. Um, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans who um, watched and, and, and West Ham fans who think that Rice is actually going to be the one who takes over for the Shaka position that that's his best position because he doesn't have to receive with his back to um opposition very often he can receive a little higher up the pitch and do his more attacking role and he can still drop back and play defense from there so Mm -hmm. it's a question i saw but i'll just go ahead and say if we start zinchenko on the left we'll play rice at the eight Havertz at the nine if we start party at right back so that would be basically a similar type of role yeah 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 so then we'll see the same kind of thing as he played last time. And I then, who do we start at forward? I bet you he starts Eddie. You know, he said something interesting. He said Eddie came to him and talked to him about playing, starting the game against Forrest. Mm. And he did score a goal. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, he did what you want from a forward. He scored a goal. He worked. He works hard. He's a hardworking forward. And so, I went back and I rewatched, and I thought his first half was actually really good. Okay, as a, a forward. Um, but then again, like I think as we took the the foot off the gas in the second half, like he really became like disconnected, and like his inability to kind of help give us the numbers in midfield was yeah. something that that got lost. Yeah. So in that case, then if we need to, we can bring Trossard in, which is what uh, Arteta did. So. I think if we play Kiwi or at left back, then we're going to start Eddie at center forward and Havertz at the, I mean, eight, whatever you want to call these positions. Right. Yeah. The striker, right. I mean, they, they play, you know, the the main attacker, the thrust of the the spear. Yes. All right, Tim, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, I think we should make this a, a, you know, a monthly type thing. If that works for you. Um, I think that would be really nice to, to kind of revisit some of these things as we go through. And I absolutely want to talk to you at the end of the transfer window to see how things have shaken up. Okay. Yeah. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of meat on that bone to be able to kind of go through here. Yeah. Look forward to it. it has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Scott. All right. You got anything to to plug Tim? I mean, they can always read you um, 7am kickoff.com. They can come to sure. my website. I, I don't have any ads or anything on there. I don't write there every day anymore. I I don't suggest anybody follow me on Twitter. I don't, I don't, I, I'm trying to migrate away from Twitter. So you can find me on blue sky. If you've got a blue sky account, it's 7am kickoff. You'll find me on blue sky. Yeah. So I'm on, um, I'm on all I'm, of the different, you know, you know, messages out there, but I've also spent a lot less time on all of them being able to, to do it which is you know, kind of my goal to be able to, yeah. to do a little bit less of all those things. I, For sure. I, I'd like to, to get more into being able to, to talk with people one-on-one like this. I think this is much better and more constructive for um, being able to have discussions uh, rather than back and forth in 280 character uh, Absolutely. messages. Absolutely. There's no question about it. All right. Human well, Tim, this is, yeah, it's been delightful. Hope you have a, a nice weekend, right? We don't know Arsenal until Monday. So no Arsenal until Monday. 
yeah hopefully yeah the the weather up and where your your parts of the world are, yeah. are not too bad have you been you know in do uh, i'm sorry have you gotten a lot of smoke i was trying to think of a word there but no. it, it just kind of got stuck in my head we've been we've been really lucky we had a few fires um little little side of the road fires but we've been very lucky this season i think a lot of the a lot of stuff burned off last year so we've been really lucky there was a pretty big fire next to one of the disc golf courses that i play but it it was uh it was put out pretty quickly no homes were hurt they almost had an evacuation though so it was it was close but we've been we've been very lucky in in tacoma this year so hopefully we um hopefully yeah we'll knock we'll knock on wood that it yeah, yeah it continues that way right continues that way and you too i i hope you guys stay safe down there with the torrential rain i lived in i lived in arizona for a while so i've seen that happen and it is wild it's wild so right yeah it's absolutely crazy to see like several inches of rain come down in a, in a couple hours um especially like when you live in the desert and like that's a whole year's worth of rain that kind of yeah. comes down at once yeah so um, stay safe oh, down there right yeah I got, I got one last question for you oh okay what's, up? What, what's what's the next pizza slash sandwich that's on your list um, that you've got coming out <laughs> I saw your your recipe there for the the perfect pizza, you know, and I was absolutely fascinated by it. I love cooking and doing those things, and so I love seeing all of your different cooking things that come out. Some uh, somebody on Blue Sky said that they make a tomato sandwich, so mm. I was going to do this. But right, you normally put a tomato sandwich on white bread, but this person doesn't like mayonnaise, so what they do is they take the tomato sandwich, they put tahini sauce on it, they put it on a pita bread. <laughs> <laughs> and then they put a little zatar on there. And I was like, okay, so that's just like a, that's like a little pita sandwich. But that's what I was thinking. Uh, that's what I was thinking about making uh, next, actually. So that's, that's it. That's not that exciting. But uh, oh, that that's sounds good, right? About. Yeah. You have some fresh summer tomatoes, right? Like they're hard to beat, right? That's what I, that's what I'm most excited about. We have, right. They're, the, they're the absolute stars of the show. When you get the, the fresh, you know, peak of season, summer tomato, August tomatoes. This is this is the best time of the year for that. Absolutely, so. yeah. My my harvest is finally just kind of coming in. I got a, a late start on growing because we yeah. had snow all the way up until uh, May, oh, so wow. I, I wasn't able to to dig them in the ground until a bit later. So I might yeah. still have a couple weeks um, for my tomatoes to to really kind of uh, oh, come into peak season. I really hope they. I really hope that rain doesn't get them too much. That'll be that would be a shame. Yeah, I, I should be pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm never good at actually ending these things. I always just want to keep talking and be able to do it. <laughs> All right, I got to go, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. Uh, we'll talk yeah. to you later. Thank you, guys. Goodbye. Take it easy.